It's a pleasure to come this evening and uh, share the gospel message. A wonderful message, no better message in all the world than the message of God's saving grace. We're coming to Luke 7, please. Luke's gospel, chapter 7. Luke 7, and I want to take a reading from verse number 11. Luke 7, verse number 11. Luke 7, verse number 11 says, And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all. And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor, or word of him, went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. And the disciples of John showed him of all these things. We end there, and we trust the Lord uh, to bless that reading of his inspired truth. We read of three occasions in the Gospels where the Lord raised the dead. We read of this occasion here where the Lord halted a funeral procession and raised the widow's son. And then we have Jairus' little daughter, 12 years of age, and the Lord went to that home and raised that little girl. And the most well-known, of course, is Lazarus. Lazarus. We read of Lazarus in John's Gospel, and we read of these others uh, in Luke's Gospel. There is a thought here in relation to these three. What we see in these three occasions where the Lord raised the dead are, if you like, three stages of death. We read of the little girl, she had just died and was, was still in the bed. When the Lord came to the home. This particular instance here in Luke 7, this man, perhaps a young man we might believe, had died and at this stage he was been carried out. This was a funeral procession. They were carrying him out for burial. And then you come to Lazarus. Well, Lazarus was dead four days, wasn't he, in the tomb when the Lord arrived in Bethany eh, to Martha and to Mary. And see, the thought is this. You see, sinners are dead in trespasses and in sins, the Bible tells us. Friend, tonight, if you're not saved, you're dead to spiritual things, dead to God. That's what the Bible tells us. That is a reality. But you know, it matters not at what stage of deadness you're in. 
It mattered not when the Lord came on each of these situations, what stage they were at, the Lord was able. And it matters not how old you are, or it matters not how young you are. It matters not how long or how deep you're in sin. Because the Lord is able. The Lord is able to save. The Lord is able to deliver. I think it's possible for us at times, those of us who are saved, we might write some folks off. We might imagine there are certain folk, and you know, they'll never get saved because perhaps of their, their, the lives that they live or whatever, perhaps their hostility to even the things of God. But we need to be careful in writing any off. It's none too hard for the Lord. I thank the Lord in my last year in pastoral ministry, there was a baptismal service in my last month before I retired, and there was 13 for baptism, and indeed, they were nearly all children. And they got saved through the kids' zone. They got saved in the Sunday school, and they were aware from the Scriptures and what was taught to them that they should be baptized, having trusted the Lord. And it's a wonderful experience when children quite young, when they're baptized and you hear their little voice When you say to them, have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? And you hear them say, yes, I have. It's wonderful to see them saved so young. What a blessing it is. Also, I was, many years ago, I was invited to speak in a nursing home up in Cookstown. It was through one of the ladies in the fellowship was a nurse there, and it was a Roman Catholic-owned home. And the priest came in once a month for a service, but they had a number of folks who were not Roman Catholic, and and they wanted somebody to come in. And through this particular nurse, I was asked if I would go and do a little service once a month. And so I agreed I would do that. I went along to that nursing home once a month and had a little service. It was a wonderful opportunity because when you went into the big room and you sat up for the service, eh, those that were in the room very often... Roman Catholic or whatever, they didn't go out, they just stayed on. And the staff, of course, were there too, and the opportunity was there to preach the gospel. But there was one occasion where an old gentleman asked to see me, and I went to see him up in his room. He was very frail and very elderly. And as I spoke to him in his room, he told me how he had lived beside a mission hall all his life. He was well aware of his need to be saved. He was well aware, but he thought he had missed his opportunity. He thought, sure, he had missed his opportunity, having known the gospel all those years. But you know, friends, he discovered the abundant grace of God, because there in his room he asked the Lord Jesus to be his Savior. I can't remember his age, but he was very elderly and very frail, but he trusted the Savior. And He didn't live that much longer, as far as I remember, but he came to know the Lord. Friends, don't be writing any off, because the Lord is able to save. The Lord is able to save. I want you to see the place here in this passage. He went into a city called Nain. He came nigh to the gate of the city. Now, this is the only time this city is mentioned in Scripture. We believe it to be a place near the southern border of Galilee. 
uh, 10 miles south of Nazareth and 20 miles south of Capernaum. That's interesting because when you look at the earlier part of the chapter, the Lord had been in Capernaum. The centurion's servant, he had dealt with him in Capernaum. You look back in chapter 7. And so it says in that passage that we read that it was the next day. And it came to pass the day after. And so the Lord had been in Capernaum and one day and the day after he was at Nain, 20 miles away. So sometimes in Scripture, you know, when you read uh, about the different places, you maybe don't realize at times the journey that was involved. Though it was a 20-mile journey in one day there for the Lord to get to this particular place the day after. The very place of this miracle was nigh to the gate, nigh to the gate of the city. Now, of course, in ancient cities, and in particular as far as Jews were concerned, they would not be burying in close to the city All their burying ground would be far away, outside the city. They had this thing, of course, about dead bodies, and and they would take them out of the city, indeed, to bury. The Scripture tells us there was much people that followed. And as you look at the situation here, you can see maybe why there was much people there, because this was very tragic. This was very tragic. When you think this was an only son, and when you think that his mother was was a widow. And perhaps he was young, we don't know, but perhaps he was young. And, and very often when you have a tragic death, a, uh, you know, an unexpected death or tragic circumstances, you often get a greater crowd. Isn't that right? You would get a lot more people coming to pay their respects and to show sympathy. But what I want you to see here is you have two crowds of people that the Scripture tells us about. We read of a crowd that followed the Lord and the disciples. I perhaps would think it would be a lesser crowd, but the Scripture speaks of it here. Indeed, it says much people, in verse 11, went with the Lord, including his disciples. But then we read of this other crowd, this other crowd, much people, it says, that followed this dead man that was been carried out to be buried. I want you to see two crowds of people One crowd of people is following death, and the other crowd are following Christ. Can you see the picture here in the Word of God? I want to ask you the question tonight, who are you following? Are you following death? Are you following life? You know, there's only two roads in this life. There's only two roads. There's that broad road that leads to destruction, and many are on that road. And there's that narrow road that leads to life. Having entered through the straight gate, having been born again, there are those that are on that narrow road that leads to heaven and to home. Friend, what road are you on tonight? Who are you following tonight? Are you still following death? Or are you following life, following Christ? I trust you can see the picture that is here as we see these two crowds of people There's a gentleman I remember from I was first saved. I went along to Newton Ards Baptist Church when I got saved. And there was an old gentleman there who, who had been in the British Army, and he had been an Army Scripture reader. Uh, he was quite elderly at this time, but I have fond memories of him looking back. I remember his prayers. It's funny. You know, when you look back over the years and you remember folks, maybe who have gone to be with the Lord, and you remember things about them. And I remember this man's prayers. And you know, 
I remember him speaking at a midweek. He was elderly. He didn't speak very often, but I remember him speaking at a midweek, and I remember what he spoke on. And you know, I've heard a lot of preachers over the years, and I couldn't tell you perhaps what many of them spoke on, but I remember this man, Jim Braden, you called him. Jim Braden. He had a lovely southern brogue. He was from away down south somewhere, and he was in the British Army. And you know, he told, he told his testimony in a, in a book form. I had it somewhere, but I wouldn't be able to lay my hand on it today, but in his testimony, he tells of how he was, he was in North Africa and he was on the Nile. And there were thousands of Allied forces all gathered there. Thousands of them along the Nile. And he said, he said there, he must have heard the gospel. He must have known the gospel because there, it was there that, that he came under conviction. And he, he said that he felt the Lord was saying to him, are you going to follow the crowd? Are you going to follow Christ? As he saw all those masses of, of troops, is he going to follow the crowd or is he going to follow Christ? And he made his decision for Christ there on the Nile in North Africa. And he came to know the Savior. You see, dear friend, who are you, going to, who are you following tonight? In Deuteronomy 30, it says this, verse 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death. God says he has set before you two ways, life and death, blessing or cursing. Therefore, he says, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. God has set before you two ways, the way of life and the way of death. But God doesn't leave it there. God doesn't say you choose. God says choose life. Dear friend, the Lord exhorts you tonight uh, to choose Christ, to choose life. We see clearly that there were many witnesses to this miracle, this amazing miracle of raising, halting this funeral and raising this man from the dead. And you find with the miracles of Christ, there is abundant evidence and witnesses of the miracles of Christ. Indeed, all uh, that God does, a team, I believe, is very much clear to be seen. Even creation. Creation. God can be seen in creation. His eternal power and Godhead is clearly seen. Man is without excuse. There's much evidence of it. And of course, there's not a shred of evidence in the world of evolution, which is indeed a foolish a foolish theory. I want you to see not only the place, the gate, nigh to the gate of nine. I want you to see the procession here. It says in verse 12, there was a dead man carried out. The enemy of death had taken this man, possibly a young man, from his widowed mother. And here we are reminded that death is no respecter of persons. Death is no respecter of age. We have evidence of that in every day as we look around the world and we hear so much news now from all parts of the world. We see that death indeed is affecting all kinds of people and all kinds of ages. None of us know how long we have. Death can cut life off, at a, uh, cut life short very, uh, very easily. We have examples all around us. There's no preparation after death. For heaven, no matter what some might say, dear friends, I want to tell you, where death leaves you, judgment will find you. 
This is why the Bible tells you now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Friend, now is the time for you to prepare for eternity. I want to tell you, if death comes, if death knocks upon your door, there's no preparation after death. The books will be opened and you will give an account. So then every one of us will give account of himself to God. I was driving up to Fermanagh. We go down to Fermanagh quite often. My mother lives, still lives down there in, in Inniskillen. And we go down quite often and I was heading off going up the M2. I can go two ways. They're both about the same distance. I can go down from where I live at Temple Patrick down to Myra and up the M1 or I can go up the M2 and then over the top, perhaps via Macrafelt or Cookstown and up that way. And so this time I decided to go up the M2 and here headed towards Macrafelt. There was no bypass at this time. And, and as I went up towards Macrafelt, I came into a traffic jam and the cars were everywhere. And I regretted going that way. And, and as the traffic was moving so slowly and there was cars parked everywhere, and it, I thought perhaps it was a Gaelic match or something. There was a pitch up, up the road a bit. But as I got up the road, I realized it wasn't on that side of the road. It was on the other side of the road. And as I got up and looked, it was a graveyard. And there was masses of people about the graveyard. And they were gathered at graves. Some were sitting and some were standing. And I realized what it was. It was one of those days where the Roman Catholic Church organized prayer for the dead. You know, friends, I want to tell you, it's too late. It's too late. It's too late for the dead. How we need to realize the Word of God is very clear. We don't find any purgatory or anything like it in the Word of God. No, no. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. It's sad when you see such things, such deception. Not only were they praying for the dead, but I'm sure they were paying as well. I want you to see the plight here of this woman, the only son of his mother. And here we find a double tragedy. Her husband was gone, and now her only son was gone. In some of the Old Testament scriptures, it speaks of the loss of an only son as very bitter, and it certainly is. Only son is a similar word from the original that's, that speaks of, uh, of Christ in John 3 and 16. Although in the case of John 3 and 16, it is a def the, de the definite article coming before the Greek word which make Christ the only begotten, the only begotten. There's only one Christ. There's only one Savior. There's only one Son of God. That is so clear. But she was a widow. And in that day, to be a widow without a son was indeed left her in great jeopardy. We can begin to see the tragic circumstances here and the sense of loss and the bleak outlook, bleak outlook that there was. But what a difference when Christ came. What a change to come to such a hopeless situation. What a difference when the Lord came. Friends, this is what the Lord is able to do in hopeless situations, in tragic situations. The Lord is able to come and indeed to rescue. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. How often we read of the Lord's compassion for, for the people when he fed the multitudes, when he opened the eyes of the blind, when he cleansed the lepers. We read of his compassion. 
We have one who cares. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. How we need to be reminded this evening, we have one who has great compassion. We live in a world with little compassion. The old hymn asked the question, does Jesus care? And the answer comes, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. We see the compassion of the Lord here. And the Lord said to her, weep not. He said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And here we have two commands. We have a command to the living and we have a command to the dead. These don't make any sense, humanly speaking. But God's commands provide divine power. We must recognize that if we view commands, the commands of God from a human perspective, they will mean little to us. But when we recognize they are divine and trust God, anything is possible. Oh, dear friend, tonight you might imagine it's impossible for you to be saved. You might imagine tonight there's too many problems. There's too many obstacles. But you know, he is the answer. What you need to do is to obey the command. To obey the command. That's so vitally important. If you're prepared to obey his command, he will provide what is required. The Lord commands you tonight to arise to the new life that he can give. Arise to the new life. Remember Levi, later called Matthew? He was at the receipt of custom. He was a tax collector. And the Lord called him. And the scripture says he rose up. He left all and he rose up and he followed Christ. He left all. He was, he was a tax collector. He was at the receipt of custom. He must have left people behind and he must have left money behind. What is it that's keeping you back from Christ? Is it money? Is it the fear of the loss of money? I know there are folks and they fear coming to Christ that they might lose money because they'd have to be honest. Is it money that's holding you back? Is it people? Levi left all. He left the people. He left the money and he followed Christ. He rose up and he followed Christ. Is it the fear of what people might say or people might think? You know, I got to the stage, when I look back to my own experience, I got to the stage, I didn't care what anybody said. I didn't care what anybody thought. I worked among rough men. Rough men. I knew what they thought about Christians. There was a Christian in the, in the same office that I worked in. I knew what they said about him. I knew the kinds of things. Indeed, I had said on an occasion, whenever they were complaining about him, I said, you know something, he's right, and I wish I was like him. And I think it was from that time that I began to experience the conviction in my own life. I knew I needed to be saved. I knew I needed to be What is it that's holding you back tonight? Oh, friend, oh, that you might leave all and rise up to the new life that Christ is able to give. It requires faith. Faith. We're saved by grace. It's the gift of God, but it's through faith. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it would, re it would require faith for this woman to weep not before her son was raised. The Lord said to her, weep not. It'd be difficult, wouldn't it? It'd be no problem after her son was raised. But to exercise faith before he was raised, that would be more difficult. But faith is something that enables us to do what seems impossible. The power is there whenever we exercise faith. He not only commanded the living, but he commanded the dead. 
And here we have the power of the Word of God. He spoke directly to the dead. And of course, there were other occasions he did the same. Remember the little girl I mentioned earlier, Jairus' daughter. He told her, or took her by the hand, didn't he? Tabitha, arise. And Lazarus, come forth. He spoke directly to the dead. You know, as we read in John 5, it tells us of a day when the dead shall be raised. In fact, in that verse, those verses in John 5, 28 and 29, it speaks of two separate days and a thousand years between. A thousand years between. The day is when, the, when indeed the just shall be raised and indeed that day whenever there will be those who will be raised. The wicked will be raised to damnation. Let me just look at those verses. John 5. John 5. Verse 28. John 5. Verse 28 it says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life. Dear friends, that's the first resurrection. The scripture says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in that first resurrection. But then it says, And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. There's two resurrections. That'll be the resurrection after the thousand years. That'll be the resurrection to the great white throne judgment. Oh, dear friend tonight, oh, that you might be part of that company that will be part of that first resurrection when the Lord comes to the air and the dead in Christ will rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now what we see throughout Scripture is that obedience to divine commands brings blessing. And of course the opposite is true. How can a nation expect to be blessed when God's commands are despised. We live in a nation that despises God's commands. Can this nation expect to be blessed? I think not. How can any company of God's people expect blessing when they disregard the teachings of Scripture, when they set aside His commands as minor matters, as is happening in these days? Dear friends, I think not. The enemy will try to persuade the believer that the commands of God are not really very important. Submission to the Word of God is not very important. That God understands that it's just perhaps a guide. This is the kind of thing that's being taught today. You don't have to worry about the detail. Friends, I want to tell you tonight, there's great blessing whenever we remember the detail of God's Word. We're submissive to it. Notice verse 14, He caused this funeral to halt and stand still. Stand still. Sometimes the Lord does this. Sometimes the Lord stops us in our tracks that we might consider His mighty power. That we might know as never before that He is God. Be still and know that I am God. I wonder, could it be, dear friend, has the Lord stopped you in your tracks? Has the Lord been merciful to you, stopped you in your tracks in some way in order that He might bring you to Himself? in order that he might save your precious soul. Friend, if you're not saved, oh, that you might ponder the mighty works of the Lord, the one who is able, the one who is God manifest in flesh, as we think of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Verse 15, and he that was dead sat up and began to speak. Now this obviously was an open coffin. And even today in the Middle East, you'll see them carry off to bury and they don't hang about too long. And of course, very often they're open coffins like that. And so there was clear evidence of the resurrection because the coffin was open and they could see as he was raised up. You see, there will always be evidence of new life. If someone is truly saved, there will be evidence of it. The Scripture tells us here that he he sat up and spoke, isn't it? He sat up and spoke. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. This was the evidence of new life when he began to speak. When you think of the three occasions the Lord raised the dead, you see different things. With with, with Lazarus, you see the grave clothes had to be removed. The old things of the dead life had to go. You see? And so it is. If someone gets saved, the old dead things of the old life have to go, just like the grave clothes. It's a tragedy, you know, when Christians don't remove the grave clothes and they're still hanging on to the old things of the dead life. When you think of that little girl, when she was raised, Jairus' daughter, the Scripture tells us they fed her. You see, she was hungry. She was hungry. And when someone gets saved, there'll be a hunger for the Word of God and for the things of God, of course, that was never there before. But with this particular man, the evidence of the new life was the fact that he spoke. He spoke. Going back to 1975, I know exactly when this was because it was the week before my wife gave birth to our second son. And so it was the week before the 8th of July, 1975. And because my wife was about to give birth and the the section that I was working with were going away up the country to do a job, I was switched to another section to work with men that I hadn't worked with before. Now, I knew them. I knew these men to speak to. I knew them to see them in the locker room. I'd heard them, seen them on many occasions, but I didn't know them well. But I started, and was in the back of a Land Rover in Belfast, and uh, sitting opposite me was a gentleman that I, uh, that I, came across quite often in the locker rooms. And over the time that I knew him, he was quite rough uh, in his language. I wasn't a believer at that time. I wasn't saved for another two years. But he was quite rough in his language, and I had little time for rough language. And he was quite loud of himself. And I, I must be honest, I didn't warm to him very much when I met him and encountered him in the locker rooms. But there I was in this, this, this back of this Land Rover, and he was sitting opposite me. And as, I, as the day went on and he spoke with me, I thought to myself, there's something different about this chap. He wasn't what I remembered him. He wasn't loud, and certainly was no, no bad language out of him. And partway through the day, he said to me, you know, I've had a great change in my life. I've got saved. Now, he didn't need to convince me that something had happened because I could see it. 
I could see it in his demeanor, and I could hear it in his voice. The very way that he spoke, I could see there was something different. I didn't know if something was wrong that day, but he just wasn't the same chap that I remembered. He got saved, and his very speech betrayed the fact that something different, something wonderful had happened in his life. Wonderful when that happens, you know. Do you ever, those who are saved tonight, do you ever reflect upon the links in the chain in your life and the different things that touched your life before you came to Christ? I suppose that was one of them for me. Because within two years, 1977, I also came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And there was a great change in my life as well. Friend, I wonder tonight, I wonder, is it time for you to be saved? Surely it is. You know, as we think about what we find here, the people were amazed, they were astonished, and they said, God hath visited his people. A great prophet has risen up among the people, it says in verse 16. And they said, what a visitation this has been. You know, friends, the greatest visitation that there ever was of God was indeed the visitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist could say, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? And you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came to this, scene, this, old, this world, that was the greatest visitation that there ever was. And then, of course, the Lord wept over the people, and he wept over Jerusalem, because they would not come to him. And what did he say? He said, Thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. The people failed to recognize that this was their opportunity. And they didn't seem to know this was the time of their visitation. This was their Messiah. Dear friend, tonight, tonight could be the time of your visitation. This could be your time. Don't miss it. Long ago, the Jews missed it. They missed that opportunity they had to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, Again, we're thankful to Thee for the opportunity to extend this message. We bless Thee for it, and we're yet in the age of grace and opportunity. We pray, Lord, that Thou wilt speak to hearts in these days. In the Savior's name. Amen.